win for our pastor on the first day of 2018, and I'm thrilled to do that. Once you know, we'll be taking the Lord's Supper at the end of this service, and that is something we'll be joining Christians now for 2,000 years as they have done that to remember what Christ did for them. And I'm grateful for the chance to celebrate that with you. It is, it is actually something God intends for us to do together. It's interesting in 1 Corinthians when he encourages the believers not to start till everyone has arrived, and it's something we, we do as a family, and so we look forward to doing that. I think most of us love great historic rescue stories. The courage and sacrifice demonstrated on the part of the rescuers when they're attempting to save those who are being rescued truly inspires us. I would bet if I ask you for some of your favorite movies or books, they would involve stories about rescue. I was reading recently again about what some argue is the greatest rescue in all of World War II, a true story. In April of 1942, about 20,000 American, I'm sorry, over 70,000 Americans and Filipinos were made to march on what was to become known as the Bataan Death March. Those 70,000 captured soldiers marched over 60 miles without any food or water in the course of about six or seven days. It's estimated that between 18,000 and 20,000 soldiers died on that march. Some of those who survived lived in awful conditions for years after that march, malnourished and tortured in what was called the Cabanatuan prison camp. Years later, in late January of 1945, Army Rangers and Filipino soldiers launched a surprise attack on that prison camp, well behind enemy lines. In, in a battle that just lasted 30 minutes, hundreds of starving American soldiers were saved from that camp. There's a memorial now built right outside of the camp that commemorates both the camp and the rescue mission that the casualties and fatalities on the American side were almost nothing, and the Japanese soldiers who died in that surprise attack was rather significant. But they built a memorial, and since then, movies have been made about that surprise attack. It has been referred to as the greatest rescue in World War II. Many have referred to it as the Great Raid, when these Army Rangers and Filipino guerrillas decided that those prisoners of war were worth going after. And in the middle of the night, late in January 1945, they decided to slip in and rescue them. As noble and heroic as that mission was, it is by no means the greatest rescue ever. The greatest rescue ever is described in Colossians chapter 1. Let me just read it to you. God has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son in whom we have redemption the forgiveness of sins church if you are a christian you were involved in the greatest rescue mission ever christ decided you were worth going after you were in fact a prisoner today we gather and we celebrate around what we call the Lord's table or the Lord's supper. 
And we're remembering the one who made that rescue possible. We're remembering how he made that rescue possible. You know, the world really can be divided into two groups. There are those who have been rescued from the dominion of darkness, as Colossians 1 says it, and transferred to the kingdom of light. There are those who have been taken from darkness to light, and there are those who have not. That is the great divide in our world. And we gather today, I hope, all of us, but most of us, as those who have been rescued. That, that is the great raid when Christ came and raided the darkness and salvaged and rescued and delivered some of us into the kingdom of his Son. And the Lord's Supper is about celebrating not just who did that, but how he did that. There are people today, and all of us know some of these, there are people today who do not believe they need to be rescued. To them, sin is not a big deal. They are not prisoners. They are not trapped. There's nothing fearful in their future, and they don't believe any rescue is needed. There are others, and I think all of us know these people, who admit sin is a problem in their life, but they believe they can rescue themselves. I can fix this. To be humble enough to admit you're so messed up you need another man to come and fix you is a problem for some people, and they believe, while there may be a sin problem in my life, I can rescue myself. Christians are those people who believe we have been rescued by another. And today is a memorial service to that rescue. In Christ, according to Colossians 1, we have now the forgiveness of sins. The greatest raid ever came when Christ in his love delivered us from darkness. Not because we deserved it, but because of his grace. We were prisoners to sin. We put our faith in God's son who went to the cross to provide the means of our rescue. Today we worship and celebrate and remember that rescue. Would you turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 11? I want to read a passage of Scripture before we celebrate the Lord's Supper. And here's what I want to do as, after I have read this. And I think we'll have time for me to do this. I, I would like for you to be, to be drawn to four major facts about the Lord's Supper. I want to remind you of these, these four significant truths about the Lord's Supper. And then... To kind of narrow in, I want to end by giving you two words of encouragement. Sometimes I think we need to read through descriptions of of things like the Lord's Supper and focus in on very specific words. So to begin with today, just four broad things that you may already believe. I grew up in churches where only one of these four was highlighted. And then at the end, before we take it, I want to give you two, what I think are great words of encouragement for us today. 1 Corinthians chapter 11 We'll start with verse 23. Paul's writing to these early believers describing what he learned from the Lord about the Lord's Supper. And he says, For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way also he took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. 
For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Whoever, therefore, eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and the blood of the Lord. Let a person examine himself then, and so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For whoever eats and drinks without discerning the body eats and drinks judgment on himself. That is why many of you are weak and ill, and some have died. But if we judge ourselves, truly, we would not be judged. But when we are judged by the Lord, we are disciplined so that we will not be condemned along with the world. So then, my brothers, when you come together, wait for one another. If anyone is hungry, let him eat at home, so that when you come together, it will not be for judgment. About the other things, I will give you direction when I come. A couple of things, maybe four here, that would just be broad things that we should be reminded as we start a new year and take the Lord's Supper. The first one that never was drawn to my attention growing up um, in all the churches I went to as we celebrated the Lord's Supper throughout the year is that when we gather around the Lord's table, it is, first of all, an act of obedience. In both verses 24 and 25, Jesus says, do this. It's a command in the original language. Commands from the Lord are not meant to be optional. I always worry about believers who, for whatever reason, maybe they've just slipped out of church and they're going through a chapter in their life where they have not found a good church to plug into or they don't think they have or they've just wandered. And you might ask them, when was the last time you took the Lord's Supper? And they can't even remember. Five years ago, six years ago, I I can't even remember the last time I was actively involved in a fellowship and took the Lord's Supper. That is sin. Jesus said, do this. That's a command. To not do it is to sin. So first of all, this morning, when we take the Lord's Supper, it is an act of obedience. We don't vote on commands. We just obey. The Bible is filled with both commands and promises, folks. The promises are the things that God says, you don't have to worry about these. I will do these. I promise I will do these. But it's filled with promises and commands. Promises God says, I'll do. Commands, he says, I'm not doing, you're doing. I want you to do these. I will help you do them. I'll give you the grace and power to do them. But the promises I'll take care of, the commands I expect you to do. One of those commands, he says, is do this. Jesus gave his followers a command, and not to participate in this would be a sin. So we do it today as an act of obedience to the Lord. Secondly, when we gather around the Lord's table, it's also an act of remembrance. And this is the one that was always highlighted to me, and it certainly is true. But as I grew up in churches, even as a child or a youth or in college, I was told this was what we do to remember. In fact, the table we had in the church I grew up in, on the very front of it, it said it had etched in it, do this in remembrance of me. It was even etched in the Lord's Supper table. This was about remembering. Jesus said, do this in remembrance of me. Jesus and his disciples, when they were, when Jesus first started or initiated the Lord's Supper, you know what they were actually doing? They were sitting down to celebrate Passover. Passover was an Old Testament meal that God had set up to help the people remember. For some reason, God sometimes ties meals to significant events that he wants us to remember. Jesus and the disciples were celebrating the Passover, which, as you may remember, 
was started 1,500 years earlier. And the Jewish people in the Old Testament were told to have this feast in the Old Testament called Passover, and they were to celebrate that time 1,500 years ago in Egypt when God passed over their homes, and they avoided the judgment of God while the Egyptians felt the judgment of God and the death of their firstborn. And as God graciously passed over their homes, he said, I want you to set up a meal called Passover, and I want you to remember how gracious I was to you that night in Egypt when I passed over your homes. So Jesus sits down with his disciples celebrating this this feast of when the Jewish people were spared. But Jesus turns that Passover meal this night into a different meal. They're going to remember something infinitely greater than Passover. When Jesus died on the cross, he was the ultimate final lamb sacrificed by God. He was sinless so that when he died on the cross, he could take the punishment for those of us that are not sinless. And Jesus said, I I want you to remember that. I want to give you a gift. I want to give you something that will help you remember my sacrifice. Now, I want to tell you, um, throughout church history, probably nothing has been debated more than the meaning of the Lord's Supper. I mean, all the way back from the early church, through the Middle Ages, through the Reformation time, and even up today, it has been discussed and debated, what does the Lord's Supper mean? Let me tell you what we do not mean by it as we celebrate it today. We are remembering, but we have to be clear about what we are remembering. We do not believe, as some do, that he's being sacrificed again today as we take the Lord's Supper. There are people who teach that when communion is taken, Christ is, in a very real sense, being sacrificed again as we take communion. We do not believe that. I don't believe there's anything in the Gospels, as Jesus laid out the Lord's Supper, that that would lead us to believe that. His death on the cross was once and for all final sufficient. He does not have to be sacrificed again and again and again. There's no sacrifice today. We're celebrating his sacrifice, but we're not calling his sacrifice to happen again in any way. We also do not believe, as some do, that the actual elements become the physical body and blood of Christ, although some do teach that. We don't believe there's any mystical thing that happens to the actual elements in the Lord's Supper. Jesus did say, this bread is my body and the wine is my blood. But I do not believe, even in, say, Matthew 26, when Jesus is establishing this with the early disciples, that as he was passing out the bread, I don't believe they thought they were literally, physically, actually eating his body. They could still see his body. None of it was missing. Jesus oftentimes, when you read through the Gospels, said things like, I'm the gate. And they knew he wasn't literally a gate. He said in John 10, I'm the door. And they knew he wasn't literally a door. He said in John 15, I'm the vine and you're the branches. They knew he wasn't literally a vine. So Jesus, when he says, this is my body, they knew he meant this represents my body. This is a picture for you. It's, it's, it's a symbol for you to help you remember. What we do teach today is that we celebrate this. It's holy and it's sacred, but it is because we long to remember, and he gave us a gift to help us remember. It's a memorial, just like there was a memorial built outside of the prison camp in the Philippines to celebrate that rescue. 
This is a memorial to help us remember what Christ did, the price he paid so we could be rescued. So it's an act of obedience and it's an act of remembrance. But the one I don't remember having highlighted much as I grew up is number three. It's also an act of confession. That's what we do today is actually us confessing something. In verse 26, as often as you eat the bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. We're proclaiming something here today. It's a confession. It's a proclamation. It's a profession of what we believe. We're saying when we take the Lord's Supper, we believe. We believe in this one, and we believe in what he did, and we are forever grateful for what he did. We gather as God's people today to say we believe, and we say it through a memorial. What is it we're proclaiming? He says in verse 26, every time you do this, you proclaim something. He says in verse 26, you're proclaiming his death. I'll be honest, that, that seems a little odd if you're not a Christian. I mean, think back with me if you were just an observer watching Christ die on the cross. It looked like defeat. And we usually don't confess our defeats. We usually don't proclaim and profess what looked like an embarrassment, what looked like loss, what looked shameful. Folks, Jesus died naked on a cross looking like a common criminal all looked like it was lost and yet we gather to say we proclaim today his death we believe in that shameful death what looked like a loss was actually a victory what looked like defeat was actually a win we're proclaiming and celebrating our faith in his death his perfect death You know, baptism is a one-time confession. You confess one time through baptism, I believe. The Lord's Supper is a repeated confession. We still believe. Nothing's changed since I got baptized. I confessed I believed in Christ then. I'm confessing today I still believe. Nothing has changed. I haven't moved on this. I still believe in his death. We confessed in baptism I'm a follower of Christ. We confess today I'm a follower of Christ. I'm not embarrassed for the whole world to know. I wasn't embarrassed on my one-time confession. I'm not embarrassed in my repeated confession. I believe in Christ. I believe that death mattered. I believe it was the high-water mark in all of history. I'm confessing today what I believe in is death. I'm part of the rescued, is what we're saying. The greatest rescue mission ever affected me, and I'm proclaiming today I'm part of the rescued. So it's an act of obedience, it's an act of remembrance, but it's also an act of confession on our part. Then finally, it's an act of purity. Look again at verses 27 through 32. Whoever eats and drinks in an unworthy manner, he says in verse 27. In verse 28, he says, let everybody examine themselves. In verse 31, he says, if we would just judge ourselves, then God wouldn't have to judge us. In verse 32, he speaks of the Lord's discipline in our lives if we partake the Lord's Supper in an unworthy manner. Paul wants to be stressing that the Lord's Supper should have a purifying effect on his church. 
I appreciated Brian lead us, leading us in prayer this morning on the fact that this year our church would be a more holy church. This is a great way to start that because the Lord's Supper is a reminder. We used to be in darkness. God rescued us from darkness and put us in light. He's saying, you better live that truth out. You're no longer over here. You're over here. Live that truth out. Evaluate your life before you take this. See if there's anything in your life that doesn't honor the Lord. Is there anything you need to confess and repent of and turn your back on and get out of your life? This is one of those things God set up in the church to help us be more holy. We gather around the Lord's table today, and it ought to purify us. He actually says in 2 Corinthians, some of you are ill and sick and have died because you weren't dealing with sin in your life and you came and gathered around the Lord's table. It's a reminder of the weight of sin in our lives. All of us are sinners. Are we dealing with it? We long to be holy so we confess our sins. We don't want to look like the world. We can't take sin lightly. And the Lord's Supper should remind us of that. I would encourage you today not to take the Lord's Supper. If in your recent past, sin has been a big part of your life that you're not planning on turning loose of, you just you think it's funny, it's no big deal, and you want to come and gather around God's gracious gift of the Lord's table, I would encourage you, like the, Paul's telling the First Corinthians, if you're not dealing with sin in your life, deal with it before you gather around the Lord's table. You don't have to be perfect to gather here but you should be striving to walk with the Lord. So it, it is an act of obedience because he said, I want you to do this. It's an act of remembrance because we're remembering, we're trying to stop in all of our busy lives and say, I want to remember the most important thing that ever happened in history and in my life, Christ died. It's an act of confession. We are publicly, in a physical way, saying we still believe this. And it's an act of purity. We long to be a holy church. We long to gather around a holy table and take the Lord's Supper together, loving each other, forgiving each other, and striving to be holy. Now, let me give you the two words of encouragement. Sometimes I do think we just need to slow down and and, um, maybe look at the trees rather than the forest. Those four things are the forest. They're the big picture of what the Lord's Supper is about. But let me draw your attention just to a couple of words that I think would be a great encouragement to you. If you look again at verse 23 in 1 Corinthians 11, you might skip right over this. For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, on the night he was betrayed. I want you to think about those words just for a minute. Betrayal is an awful thing. I don't know if you've ever had a close family member or friend betray you. This is the night on which Christ was betrayed. Judas betrayed him. Someone that should have been trustworthy was not trustworthy. Somebody that he should have been able to count on sold him out. Betrayal is an awful thing. On the night Christ was betrayed. God could have, could have had Paul write that in a lot of different ways on the night before Christ was crucified, on the night he gathered to celebrate Passover, uh, on his last evening with the disciples. But he has Paul write it like this. On the very night, the betrayal happened. When the background is filled with betrayal, when the night is so dark, Christ is so good 
that he's giving us a gift. When the background is betrayal, Christ doesn't care what's going on in the background. He's like, I have a gift for you guys. I, I want to give you something good, even though bad's happening to me. On the night he was betrayed, he initiates something that believers will be doing for thousands of years. I mean, this may have been the last legitimate Passover and the very first legitimate Lord's Supper. And he's like, I'm going to do that even though all this betrayal is going on behind me. Can you just thank God that he's so sovereign that even on dark nights, he can bring good things? Even on nights of betrayal, he's like, I I have something good going. The beginning of something beautiful came out of an environment of betrayal. The Lord is so good that he has good gifts for you even on dark nights. The second word of encouragement comes in verse 24. When he says, this is my body, which is for you. It's for you. Church, this is um, personal. Christ could have said, I don't need my body crushed. You do. This doesn't do anything for me. I'm doing this for you. This is my body for you. Don't ever underestimate Christ's love for you. He did this with you on his mind. God is so sovereign, he can take dark nights and nights of betrayal and still give us something good. But in the middle of that, he makes this very personal. This is my body for you. Jesus took on a body. Um, we actually sang it in one of the songs this morning. He took on flesh. It's what we call in theology the incarnation. He could have stayed in heaven where he didn't take on human flesh, but he took on human flesh and came down here. And he said, I, I didn't need to take on a body for me. You needed me to take on a body. This is my body for you. I took on a body for you. God the Father didn't need me to take on a body. You needed me to take on a body. This is my body for you. And he's telling his disciples, not only did I take on a body for you, tomorrow I'll die in this body. This body will be beaten and crushed. My blood will be poured out, and it's for you. God's so sovereign, even on nights of betrayal, he's doing something great. His love is so immense that his body was given for you. Please don't miss those words. Third Day has a song out that um, was written several years ago that's called Communion. And as we try to turn our thoughts and minds toward this, I'm going to ask you as you, um, as you take stock of your own life and prepare to take the Lord's Supper, I'm going to ask you to worship listening to this song and, and watching the video that goes along with it. I want you to think through your own sin and sins you might need to confess as you prepare to take the Lord's Supper. I'd like for you to contemplate the fact that this is an act of obedience, that this is an act of remembrance, that this is an act of confession. What are you confessing today? And that this ultimately is an act of purity in your life as well. You're longing to be pure. So would you worship with me um, as we watch this, think through what Christ did for you, and then we'll take the Lord's Supper together. This is the body, and this is the blood, broken and pulled out for all of us. 
today we want to participate in an act of obedience we want to do this because you told us to we, we want to be obedient children we also want to do it to remember we, we don't want to forget that sacrifice that horrible Friday good for us crushing to your son. 
when he had to cry out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me as he took on our sin? We remember. We remember your sacrifice that made our rescue possible. Father, we also want to confess today that we believe that we are followers of Christ. We proclaim your death until you return. We don't know when that will be. We just want to be in a long line of faithful believers who say, we believe, we are followers, that death is everything. We also want to participate as an act of purity. We think about what you went through and how awful sin is. How can we entertain it in our lives? How can we not fight it every day and forsake it? How can we think it's no big deal? We come to your table today not deserving at all, but standing in the grace of Christ. Father, I thank you that even on the night you were betrayed, you gave us a good gift. And I thank you that you did this for me. Father, I pray that that we'd realize the personal side of that this morning. This wasn't a vague sacrifice. It was intended for specific people. It was for sinners who needed to put their faith in a Savior. It's for prisoners who needed to be rescued. It's for us 2,000 years later. So God, help us today to celebrate this. It is solemn, but it's also a celebration. We do it filled with joy, thankful so much for what you did for us. In Christ's name, amen. I'm going to ask the men to come that will help us with the Lord's Supper. And I'll just read what Christ said again as we take the bread and the cup and celebrate it together as a family today. We wait on each other. We do it together. It promotes unity in our church. We thank these men for helping us um, to pass that out. I'll read again for you. On the night that the Lord Jesus was betrayed, he took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And would you help us by passing out the bread?
Toby, would you pray for us before we take this? In the same way, he took the cup after supper and said, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. Men, would you help us with the drink as well? we worship, we remember, and we confess. E.L., would you mind leading us in prayer?
there's always the chance that as we gather on a Sunday morning and confess what we believe, there could be someone here today that says, I've never believed that. I I watch you brothers and sisters in Christ worship and profess and remember and long to be pure and want to obey. I watch you do all of that. I've never personally appropriated that grace in my life. It could be as we've confessed today, God has drawn your heart to say, why don't you give your life to Christ? Why don't you join those who have been rescued rather than being those who need to be rescued? It could be that even on this Sunday morning as God's people gather for this memorial service to his death on the cross, you realize it hasn't meant anything to you till today. And today would be the day you would say, God, rescue me from the dominion of darkness and transfer me to the kingdom of your son. And we're going to have a a song of response here in a minute where if you're a believer, just continue in your thankfulness to God for what he did for you. But if you're not a believer, we would love to talk to you about what it means to be rescued, what Christ did on the cross that provides the way for you to be rescued. And you're never too old to experience that rescue. And if you're old enough to understand your sin and Christ's death and put your faith in him, you're never too young to experience that rescue. It is a rescue that is available today just like it was 2,000 years ago. And my prayer would be you would not leave today if you're not rescued. Father, I thank you that you rescued me. I thank you that on the cross you provided the means for my rescue. And in our final worship song this morning, may our hearts be filled with joy as we think about what that means. Thank you, God, for believers today to gather with to celebrate this so I would not have to celebrate the Lord's Supper all by myself. But I do pray, God, that we we feel the weight of it. We know the joy of it. And I pray today that if someone's here that's never experienced this personally, they would slip down during this song, take me by the hand, and say, would you talk to me about what it means to be rescued? I would like forgiveness. I would like to be right with God. God, you've provided the way they could be right with God. We're just messengers telling people that it's real. And today we confess through the Lord's Supper that it is, in fact, real. It's in your son's name we pray.